Well, we are thankful for Brother Sam Rue and uh, making the trip down to be with us. He's, he said he's willing to preach, so we're going to have him preach the main service. That's still the plan, right, brother? All right, amen. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Jude, we'll uh, continue on with our Sunday school study there in Jude. We'll pick up the questions in Micah that we started last Sunday. We'll pick that back up next Sunday. Uh, and this morning we'll do Jude, and this afternoon we'll go back to uh, the Lord's ministry as we've been studying that chronologically. We're looking now, uh, again, still at those first two verses, but we're looking at the idea of preservation that appears in the first and second verse here. And I'll read those two verses for you. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And then, uh, Lord willing, if there's time, we'll look at this next part, and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So we're looking still at uh, being preserved in Jesus Christ. And this really goes hand in hand with that sanctification piece that we talked about uh, in our very first study. Without faith, the idea of sanctification and preservation could never be believed. Uh, I've had multiple conversations about this even this morning. But the idea that we would be kept that we'd be preserved, that we could be set apart, that we could be different uh, for a particular use, for a particular purpose. There must be faith to believe in such thing. Uh, and there is faith because for those he sanctified, for those he preserved, for those he called, he set apart and kept and has use for, he reveals such things and they believe. Consider Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 3, very familiar text. We've studied this quite a bit in recent months. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, and I'll remind you this word evidence is elsewhere translated conviction, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. By it, that means this faith has a use. This faith has a purpose. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Praise the Lord. Putting sanctification and preservation together, we see the bigger picture very well as it was written by Peter. Consider, if you will, 1 Peter chapter 1 and the first five verses. We have the standard introduction, but as I said last time in these epistles and these letters, the writers reveal an awful lot in their introductions. And most of the time, their gratitude to the Lord God their intention for writing altogether, but you'd be surprised how often we find preservation and sanctification and being called in the very opening of these letters. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See, already we have who wrote it, who he's writing to, and we'll be getting into the intention of it. But note here that Peter was made an apostle to those who were not saved yet. They were known of the Father. He had intention of using them, of feeding them, which is why Peter's writing. But they may not have understood why. And then Peter continues, elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. And again we see here, sanctified by the Spirit before the foundation of the world, unto the faithful coming and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that had not yet been sacrificed during their foreordination. 
but he was, he was sacrificed unto obedience, which we know that he was faithful unto. And Simon Peter continues, grace unto you. Now we get into the intention of it. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Again, we see a promise that can only be believed through faith for it's something yet unseen, something yet experienced, something intangible that can't be held, something that can't be locked up in a safe, nor is it intended to be locked up or even hidden, but rather a, a city set upon a hill, a light to be shined. And again, he addresses those that he's writing to as the preserved, those who are kept, he says. And kept by what? By the power of God. Kept by the power of God. Listen to the last few words that we just said. This is reserved in heaven for you. That sounds special, doesn't it? If somebody gives you a card and says, I have something just for you, or they send you a package and it says just for you on it, it feels significant, it feels special. You feel touched before you even know what's inside the box. It could be a dead cat. You don't even know what's inside the box. But you feel special already because it's for you. It's got your name on it. Uh, Isaac experiences this at 16, but I'm going to tell you, it's the same at 41. When I get something that has my name on it and it's not from a collector, I'm pretty excited. Somebody thought of me. Somebody these days spent almost a whole dollar, Sam Rue, to send me a letter. That's thoughtful. There's a young man in Florida, uh, Florida, North Carolina, 12 years old, and the sisters here know this. He sends me a letter here to the church house about once every couple of months. His parents have to mail it, of course, but this young man, in his writing, in pencil on notebook paper, writes me every couple of months. I'm not faithful enough to do that, and yet this young man thinks of me in such high regard. It says here, reserved, kept, specifically, uh, if it were a tangible item set on a shelf that says, just for Brother Steve, and it's not for anyone else. This dose, this quantity is just for him. It's reserved in heaven for him. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept, who are preserved by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We don't know the full scope of, uh, of, uh, of gloriousness that we haven't inherited. Even those who are here and know they're born again, we don't truly know to the utmost degree how much we have inherited. But we know it's not in part. And we know that it's not conditional. And we know that it's an inheritance for Christ Jesus that we have inherited through him and by him. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. This is more than just the perseverance of the saints and the preservation of the churches. What's being kept for you that will be revealed in the last time that we don't fully understand? I mean, we, we tie ourselves in knots trying to figure out when he's coming again. But if we tied ourselves in knots with trying to figure out just, just how much of a bounty's on the other side, now, we understand a time where there'll be no eye trouble, no heart trouble, no Parkinson's trouble, no cancer trouble. And we, we're caught up in just how glorious that is. But it's way more than that. Way more than that. No heartbreak. Way more than that. 
Beloved, we are right now in the last days. It literally could be before Samuel gets to preach that it's revealed unto us just how precious we truly are, just how significant the crucifixion was in our behalf. No tomorrow has been promised, for today is the day of salvation. Today is the day ordained for you to consider the state of your soul in regards to eternity. Will you not make a point today to give diligence to make your calling and election sure? Peter writes of this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he writes, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, paraphrasing here, Paul's no idiot. Paul's not saying that in your fleshly state of decay and death, that he wants to be wholly preserved. Uh, Brother Ernie, at your age, do you want that body preserved for you for all eternity? Or maybe a perfect body like what Isaac's got over here for all eternity, able to run and leap as the heart, able to, to breathe in without <sighs> hesitation or a, a knot in my back when I take a deep breath. I get a knot right in the center of my back that just wants to drop me over. I don't want this body. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying your whole body, this body, your whole spirit, one that's continually dependent on repentance and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. Not that salvation can be lost, but believer, you better be repenting because you sin every day. Not an imperfect spirit, not an imperfect soul, not an imperfect body. That's not what's being preserved here. I believe that shelf that I mentioned it's for, it's got this, this gift, this contained... Uh, um, contained and, and specifically ordained for Brother Steve, I think it's perfection. Not perfection will ever have in this life, but perfection that on the other side, he's not going to, it's not like a brand new car, you take it off the lot and it runs great, but then when you've signed the dotted line, uh, suddenly you hear a, a knocking in the motor you didn't hear before, or the vent doesn't blow just right, or the steering wheel is just a little too hard to turn to the left. This is perfection. No one will walk off the lot, if you will, in their perfect body with their perfect spirit and their perfect soul and say, you know, it could be better. It could be better. If I, uh, if I get one of them five-star review requests for this perfect body, I'm probably going to have to give it four stars and, and go into detail on how God could have done better. I don't even know that we know how to gauge perfection as what we're going to experience in the kingdom. That's what's on the other side. When this veil is removed, when it's rolled up like a scroll and we're called home and we are united with God the Father. And I don't even know that it'll be a body or a spirit or a soul that we will know is perfect. We will simply not regard it as our heaviest concern anymore because we'll be worn by perfect light. And we will be embraced by perfection, by perfect warmth, loved perfectly, loved unconditionally. And we will be in the presence of him whom we have longed for, whom we have looked for. Whether we run faster or not won't matter. Whether we can eat faster or speak louder or sing better, speak gooder, won't matter. Because those concerns will be gone. All that we will wrap ourselves in 
is that God the Father is there. You know, sometimes it, it bothers me, and, I, and I've probably said the same thing in general conversations of those who say, I can't wait to see Brother Spurgeon, or I can't wait to see Brother Milburn, or Brother this, or Brother that. Yeah, I, I'm sure those will be blessings, if that is indeed an experience we have ahead of us. But that's not what we're going to the kingdom for. That's not what we are to long for. We're not spending every day looking for the return of an opportunity to see some dead man. We are looking for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just some moment, some twinkling in the eye, of, oh, there he is. Now what's next? It's going to be, there he is. And wherever he is, there's my eyes. And wherever he goes, there I go. Because we long to be with him. I'm sure we miss our spouses. We miss our siblings, our parents, our grandparents. Maybe those will be added bonuses. But that's not the reason we're going to the kingdom. And the reason is the blood of the Lamb. But that's not what we should be longing for in the kingdom either. And, and we've said it before. I know Milburn said it before. Uh, if we don't enjoy worship here, we're not going to enjoy heaven very much. Because that's what heaven's all about, is worship. If we don't long to know and understand more about worship now, and I don't believe you're going to get to the kingdom if you don't, you're going to be real miserable, which is why I don't think you'll get to the kingdom, because I don't, I don't read where there'll be a lot of miserable people. Wallflowers saying, boy, man, this could be better. That's not what the kingdom of heaven will be about. One last thing for us to consider here this morning, and, and this is, uh, if you were taking notes and looking for my points over the last two Sundays, I hadn't given them to you yet. Uh, you'll be getting them now. God knows our nature, and God knows our need. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2, the apostle here really uh, brings some things to light uh, in his account. We're going to start in John chapter 2, verse 13, and we're going to read uh, quite a ways. We're going to read all the way to John chapter 3, verse 21. Starting in John chapter 2, verse 13, John writes, And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found... In the temple, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. I wonder sometimes how he spoke that. If did, did he calmly say it? Did he yell it? In the theatrical sense, if he just whispered this, it would have been terrifying. Think about that. Take these things hence. Get it out of here. Make not my father's house an house of merchandise. No gospel of prosperity. No gospel of feel good. Mourner's bench miracles. This is not a house of merchandise. This is the Lord's house. We should long to come here, not because it is a magical place, but because we have set up worship here. We tabernacle here. We're not here forever. Maybe even in this life, the Lord might call you to another place to tabernacle at some point. But this, for all intents and purposes, this is the only day we have. And we've come here to worship God. Do not make this a house of merchandise. We don't open up the storehouses of the bookstore on Sundays. We don't meet you on your way to the fellowship hall and try to sell you a head covering, ladies, or a new Bible case, gentlemen. It's just an example, and probably way less dangerous than the examples I've already given you. 
This is not a place to sell salvation. If I save you, I have to keep you. If I cause for you to repent, then I got to come around again and cause for you to repent the next time. But if the word of God works a change in you, that Holy Spirit resides in you and reminds you over and over and over again, be ye holy, for he is holy. Verse 17, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And remember, uh, when we went through this in our chronological study, what they're looking for is authority. Hey, he's just turned over businesses. What authority have you to speak to us in such a way, to cause such damage to our profitableness? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, he's speaking of himself. Verse 20, then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, and his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And John puts that in there to remind us that it wasn't revealed to them immediately. It was his body that he was talking about. But at the point of writing this, John's in recognition that this is what the Lord spoke of. Because at that point, it had already happened. Verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name, and they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man, the Pharisees, named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, probably one of many people's favorites, um, and I, I do indeed love it. But we begin John chapter 3 here looking at Nicodemus. He was the ruler of the Jews. It would have been shameful for him to go and ask the Lord Jesus questions. Ask him uh, more than under what authority do you do this would have been uh, un unheard of for a ruler of the Jews to, to do such a thing. But he comes to Jesus according to verse 2 by night. And he says unto Jesus, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Uh, it's possible Nicodemus means this as a compliment. It's possible that he, he's trying to compliment. I, I understand that these things that you do are enabled by God the Father. And this is a worthy thing. But he's referring to him as a great teacher. Now, what we see next in John 3, I want you to understand there's a transition. And there's multiple times in which the Lord says you must be born again. And he says that to one who recognizes Jesus to be just a teacher. You will not go to heaven if you recognize Jesus Christ as only a teacher. You must understand that he is Lord and Savior. He needs to be your master. He needs to be way more than an educated man, a clever person who did some tricks Listen to Jesus' response. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is to one who already doesn't have it. Look at Nicodemus' words in verse 2 says he's a great teacher. He understands where the power comes from, but he's a teacher. And Jesus' response to him is that except a man be born again, except you be made more than you are, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith in verse 4 unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? This is a ruler of the synagogue. This is a leader of the Jews. One who would been, have been responsible for readings and interpretations, setting examples, uh, and holding others to it. How can these things be? He says. What's he questioning? The wind? If, if Samru told us that the wind in Trinidad can't be seen where it's coming from, and you can't predict where it's going to end up going, would any of us stand and say, how could these things be? That's craziness. Wind can be controlled. Wind can be sanctified. Wind can be preserved and contained. I can call on the wind and the wind will come unto me. No, that's not how wind works. But God is the God of all creation. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. For him, that's exactly how wind works. And he says, lest you be called by this God, lest you be reformed, reborn by this God, you won't come to know him, and you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What can man say except how can these things be? What can man say except mock and say, shall I re-enter into my mother's womb? A grown man, a grown woman, re-enter into the womb of my parent? How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Verse 10 is one of the strongest reasons I have that I don't, I don't go by the title reverent, or master, for that matter. Can I master these things? Can I truly know these things? I'm not to be revered. I'm learning alongside you. I'm as imperfect as they come. I need prayer and, and even repentance more than y'all do most days. And the closer you get to him, the more that will be revealed unto you. In verse 12, he, he continues and says, If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Nicodemus asks how these things could be, and, and here Jesus tells him, Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I, I got to interrupt again. Here's a master of the Jews, a ruler of the Jews. One of the 70. Does he fully understand what happened when Moses made the brazen serpent that healed those who been, had been ill, who were ill unto death? If he fully understood that, he'd fully understand this. Jesus puts it right back on his lap. Do you know what Jesus wrote in the sand when the adulterous woman was thrown into the mix? Then you need to turn unto Jesus because he has a more perfect understanding. Do you understand where the wind goes, where the wind comes from? No? Then you need to turn unto Jesus. Do you have stronger arms than Isaiah? Can you hold your breath longer than Simon Peter who shouted out, Save me, Lord, as he plummeted into the waters? Then you need to turn unto Jesus, just as they did. What of Jonah? 
What of Jonah? Could you have conquered that mighty fish, that mighty whale? Could you have conquered the, the fear that led him to go the opposite direction of Nineveh? Could you have conquered that bitter heart in which Jonah did not want to see the Ninevites repent and receive forgiveness of God the Father? Then you too better return unto the Lord. Verse 16, the one that everyone seems to know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's a familiar verse, but there's a trick to it, isn't there? You have to believe in him. Not the version the world presents. Not even the version that the little fish bumper stickers present when they throw John 3.16 all over the place. Do you actually believe in Christ Jesus to be God? Do you actually believe that on the cross of Calvary, death was conquered? The sin debt was paid? Let's start simpler. When he said, it is finished, did you agree? Did you agree with him? Or did we start adding footnotes? That is finished. But what about this and this? And this, when I, I know parents don't lead this way anymore, but when, when my folks spoke, their word was final. And sometimes they said that word over and over and over again, but they had the final word on those things. And if they said something was finished, it was finished, or else it was finished. You didn't dare reopen it. You didn't dare restart it again. It was finished. Husbands, probably the same when we dispute with our wives. When she gets the last word in, and she's in the other room so I can say this, it's finished. And if you reopen that can of worms, Lord help you. It's better that it be finished. Who would reopen this? Who could? But if you could, who would? Who would say, my sin debt's not fully paid? I, I know the Lord said it is finished, but I'm not convinced. Well, you do. When you rebel against the Lord, you do when you say that you, you, can, unfor you can be unforgiving. You slap him back up on the cross again to prove it over and over and over again. You've taken those tables overturned in John 2 and set them back upright again. You've taken the fleece and flipped it back over and said, okay, but this time, look at verse 17. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why is that true? Because the world was already condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Well, if verse 18 is true, that means there's only one way into the kingdom of heaven. And that means you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or you won't be born again and you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. That means in verse 2, Nicodemus is not speaking as a born-again believer. Nicodemus is acknowledging Christ Jesus to do some powerful things. And maybe he's a good teacher, but that power is God's. You need to recognize that that power that is God's was exercised by God the Son on the cross when he says, It is finished. Because if you don't believe he's God, that's just another dead man on a cross that spoke so eloquently. But you have no idea what he completed. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Which we discussed last Sunday, what reproved is. And he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You see, sadly, I think sometimes here in the, what are we now, the 20, 21st century? I don't even know anymore. It feels the last three years feels like another hundred. Um, I think when we think of the Lord Jesus, we think we would have followed without any question. This is Jesus. Of course we would have followed without any question. It's easy to say that after you've been born again. It's easy to say that when you think he'll never return again for you to ever have to prove it. He is coming again. And there will be those who he says, depart from me. I never knew thee. So though this happened in time before we were born, it's happening right now for you. Do you yet believe? Do you yet believe because all, all knees will bow. All will stand before the Lord. And you will confess the truth. And it will be made most clear to you. See, God knows our nature. Our nature is to say, I attend, and that's enough. Well, those who set up these money-changing tables attended. They were there regularly. They were making profit. Those who were uh, exchanging these animals for animal sacrifices, and we did a pretty intense study on all that, so I won't go back over all that again. They attended. They were there faithfully. They were probably there early, setting up shop, making sure they had the right amount of change available, making sure they knew who was coming to town that day. They attended. Why are you here? His point is illustrated well, this point that God knows our nature, by his lack of, of knowledge. Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Nicodemus, who probably knew way more than I did do on most things, did not know what he needed to know most. He came by dark of night. Praise the Lord, he came. Praise the Lord, he was called. You imagine, and I, darkness is darkness is darkness, right? So it takes a lot to get this 41-year-old out of the house when it's dark. This had to have driven Nicodemus crazy for the time in which, uh, between him coming at night and between what he had witnessed that stirred him up. And he would have had to have reached out at some point to find out where Jesus was going to be so that he could set up this midnight meeting. But he had to have some answers. He had to go, and, and have you ever been in that circumstance when you don't know that you're going to like the answers, you don't know that you're going to know the answers, but you, this is not going to leave you alone. You have to know. You have to go and talk to this person. Either uh, you have a, 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 a dispute with one, and it's got to be settled, and you just can't sleep until, it, until you've found settlement, or those who are saved might remember the, uh, leading up to your salvation. i got to talk to the preacher. I just can't take it anymore. I got to tell him how wrong he is because I just can't sleep at night knowing how wrong that preacher is about everything. Try being a Catholic for 18 years and going to a Baptist conference. I wanted to talk to every preacher in Gladwood, that first conference I ever went to. I want to talk to every one of them. They just don't know. They talk about Catholics like they're evil. Yeah, there's a reason the Lord allowed me to get stirred up on the wrong thing. I had to be set right. God knows our nature and God knows our need. We need to come away from these things. If you're born again, we are delivered from our carnal cravings. We should be rid of such vanity. and We should seek after the Lord while he may be found. 
that may be a midnight meeting. There's others in our parking lot at night these days. Why don't you just come and join me in this parking lot some night? We'll scare them away and we'll talk. We'll answer these questions of what's going on in the scriptures. Plain and simple, it is not enough to know of him. You must know him. It is not enough to belong to your local church. You must be of your local church. You must be the local church. This is a local visible building, but we are the church, the members here. We are the bricks, the lively stones that make up on top of the foundation that is Christ Jesus, the local visible assembly to Mantachi, Mississippi. It's not enough to belong, to have your name on the roll. You must be of this church. You must cry with this church, bleed with this church, hurt with this church. Why? Why is that so important? Because this is as a wife to Christ Jesus. That's how much he loves his church. That's how much he gives for this church. You want to know him better? Be here. Don't be the first to come in and the first to go out. The last to come in and the first to go out. Don't be known for how you come and go. What a horrible thing. You know what that really is? If you knew me for my coming and going, you'd know I was born of my mother and I'm going to die and be buried in the ground unless I'm raptured again. That's my coming and going. But what do I do day in and day out? What do I long for? What do I pray for? As a church, we're called to come together and do such things. Dear friends, you should be wondering, what is it that God would have for me? Because he makes no mistakes. And if you're here and born again at 80, born again at 40, born again at 16, just what is it that he has for you? What is this plan that he has that was stitched together before the foundation of the world that required you being sanctified and you being preserved? You see, if there's no accidents and you're still here, you've been kept here for a reason. Why? You should not be wandering. And the church should not be left wondering where you are, what your need is, she should be able to know hers, and hers should be able to know her. Would you say that you have a healthy relationship with your spouse if you didn't see her regularly, if you didn't know his needs, if you didn't rub their feet every once in a while, if you didn't look them in the eyes and have conversations with them, eat meals with them? We're very blessed here to have these lunches on Sundays where we eat with our, our, fe our fellowship as well as our friends, our visitors, and we get to eat with one another, feed one another, serve one another. There are churches that don't even do that. But is that enough? Were you here Wednesday when Brother Paul and his family came through, when the Wyckoffs came through? Four sister churches were represented here Wednesday night. Were you here for that? Were you blessed by that? The Wyckoffs are in a situation this church was in for a long time. Not had a pastor. Did you embrace them? Did you tell them of the pain that you're very familiar with? How you're praying for them? 
Did you give him a breath of hope? That though you never thought maybe the Lord would send you another one, he did? I don't say that because I'm something great, but see, that's part of your stitchings. That's what put you together. And you may not love the time you went without a pastor, but it's sewn into you, one thread at a time. It's sewn into your experience. You now have a way to relate to other folks who have gone without pastors. You now have a way to relate to other folks on God's timing. And that message Paul preached Wednesday, uh, that was pretty powerful. That tied in with what we've been teaching. And, and each point seemed to hit everybody differently that I've talked to, but the things that he brought out about waiting on the Lord, following after the Lord, being ready to go and chase after the Lord, we got a whole lot of distractions that tell us maybe one day there'll be time. Those are lies. Today's the day. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you familiar with what it is that he would have for you? If, if we were talking about your career, we would use words like track. Are you on the right track? Are you pursuing the right goals? Are you doing today what you need to do to be successful come retirement age? See, I, I work in the business world too. I know those words. I know those phrases. So let me ask you that about your church relationship. And we'll close there. Are you on the right track? See, it's not a 401k plan, but it's a coming in the sky plan. And he's coming. Are you prepared for that day? Uh, have you recited in your mind, like if you were getting ready for a job interview, what questions he might ask so that you can study for those answers? The Bible mentions uh, ten virgins and talks about some having their lamps trimmed and some not. Do you know what trimmed means? Do you know where the oil comes from? See, there's a lot of things in the Bible that point to that day, that twinkling of an eye, that, that time in which he comes as a thief in the night. Are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared to walk in the room in your best dress? And I'm not talking a suit. I'm talking pure gowns, spot free. That means you've repented regularly, seen to your clothes, seen to your person, to your reputation, to your body, that it be without spot. That if anything is, is identified as causing sinfulness, that it is removed. Because that day is coming. I can't help but think how quickly it might be coming. This might be the last day I get to introduce Brother Sam Roof. He might be called home. I might be called home. We might go home together. I don't know how long it would take for us to get together from Trinidad and Mantachi, but, but we're heading in one direction. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We rejoice at the idea that we're going to be with him one day, but are we prepared? Are we prepared? Let's close with a word of prayer.